Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is also available for free anytime you want it at uh, iTunes or at thejazzsession.com, where you'll also find links to the Facebook group and the Twitter feed and the mailing list and all the other information about the show that you could want. You'll also find in the notes for each show an Amazon.com link to purchase generally an MP3 download of the album uh, of the artist being featured in that program, and a small portion of the proceeds from those purchases goes to support the show. And you'll also find a donate button at thejazzsession.com if you want to just make a direct contribution to helping uh, keep the show going. The show is free. It will always be free. But uh, if you'd like to help support the show, as people have already begun doing, uh, and I thank those people very much, then uh, please do avail yourself of the donate button. There's a place in Saratoga Springs, New York, which is called Yado, and it is an artist's retreat, kind of an artist community. The gardens at Yado are open to the public, I think more or less year-round, but the rest of the place is pretty much closed off to the public unless you're there for a retreat, as far as I know. And so I was uh, particularly pleased that when John Hollenbeck was at Yado for his retreat, I got to go there and interview him. Of course, I was excited to talk to John and uh, also excited to get a little peek behind the veil uh, of Yado itself. And this interview was recorded in uh, the Pink Room, I think it's called, which, uh, as John explained, I can't remember uh, if he explained it on tape or not, but he certainly explained that uh, several people had died there, I think. So uh, so that was a good start. Um, John Hollenbeck, uh, drummer, composer, uh, incredibly busy musician, and uh, it's my pleasure to uh, have him on the show. He released an album recently for a large ensemble called Eternal Interlude, and it begins this way.
My guest is composer John Hollenbeck. Uh, he has uh, released in the last year a large ensemble album called Eternal Interlude, which was nominated for a Grammy. And we are uh, conducting this interview at Yado, which is in Saratoga Springs, New York. And uh, John, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Will you tell folks a little bit about what this place is that we're at and, and why you came here, what it, what it does for you, what it allows you to do? Um, this is a you know a very old uh, one of the oldest arts colonies artist colonies uh, in this in the United States and basically it just uh, gives you a very safe environment to just work all day and someone cooks you you know great meals and you just have to go there at a certain time and and you can also um, interact a lot with other artists there's composers here and writers poets um, visual artists and so that is uh, you know, very. It's it's great after you've been working the whole day on your own thing to just get out and talk to another artist. You know, and see what they're doing, and you know, it can can really kind of help you get get through those hard, difficult times. And what does coming to a space like this allow you to do? Why did you decide to come here? Uh, you just getting you know getting away from from the phone and the internet and um, and getting to a place that's really quiet. Um, and there's so there's not a lot of things coming in, hitting you, and and uh, you know after a few days in a place like this, you can really I can really get some work done, and and things come much quicker to me than than in my usual um, thing is I'm writing you know in a hotel room or you know in, in a place that's not always conducive to uh, creativity. Well, I just wonder, uh, you mentioned what, before we were recording that you had been doing a lot of listening, which I assume means yeah. both to other music, oh, music yeah, other than yeah. yours, but also uh, doing a lot of writing, which is also uh, kind of a form of listening, maybe internal listening. Right. So I just wonder how being in a place like this affects either of those things. Right. Um, well, the, the, the listening uh, part to other music, that just happens because I, I gather together a, a large amount of CDs and just don't feel like... You know, I have the quality time to like sit down and really listen to a lot of those CDs, and I don't want to just listen to them in a haphazard way. So I end up collecting like fifty of them or so at least, and then you know I wait for a moment like this. Usually happens in August or something like that, like one month per year, where I kind of just sit down and really listen to all this stuff that I've been waiting to listen to. You know, um, so that that's you know part of what I what I do here. But I'm I'm um, I'm preparing for a project of uh, arranging pop songs. So a lot of the listening that I'm doing is I'm just listening to pop music, what other people are sending me as possible tunes for this project. And so that's what a, a lot of the listening that I'm doing is. And then uh, yeah, just mostly CDs that I've collected. Um, and that you know that's like something that I would do like in the evening or whatever. And then in the morning. I'm not listening to any other music, and I'm just trying to to write something. What I've what I've been doing um, is just kind of getting up and going with whatever whatever that first idea is, and just writing straight to four o'clock, and just see how far I can get with whatever it is that I'm doing, and not judge it or just see what what happens, you know, and just kind of go with it, see how far I can get something, and then at the end of the day, I have like. The really a really really good beginning of a piece that you know I'm sure I can finish up in in a later time. 
So I, I kind of get what that like writing from morning till four o'clock means if you're writing if you're writing words. When you're writing music, does that mean you're writing just really extended pieces of music or multiple parts, or or could it, it just could be anything? Uh, yeah, it could be anything. At some point, at some point, I decide what it could be. You know, so um, you know, I've always wanted to write, for instance, like a string quartet piece, and I guess I've you know thought about string quartet with drum set because that's not something that I've heard very much, and I'd like to be involved. And um, so that's one thing that I've done uh, a co- in a couple days. Last week, I wrote like a string quartet piece each day with drum set and so it it becomes you know obvious okay this is going to be for four people plus drum set and once i've made that decision then you just kind of just go and see what happens so um yeah it could mean that you spend the whole day and and maybe you don't really have anything tangible to show for it or it could be that you know things just kind of went in a really you know you got lucky and at the end of the day, you have something that you could actually listen to, and it's kind of, you know, the beginnings of something. I have, I have, that's what I mostly have is just something that's like, you know, eight or nine minutes of music, and it's pretty rough, and there's a lot of details in there that need to be worked out, and a lot of things that need to be edited and all that. But I, I feel like I've, you know, there's a piece there that it, that I can kind of see now. And so what what will happen to those pieces? Will you put those aside and come back to them? Will you work until they're completed? Will you start the editing process? Or does it vary from piece to piece? Uh, yeah. Well, if, you know, so, some days, like, I've been doing that, and then on, on, on another day I might just pick up all the pieces of all the pieces that I've been working on and just kind of look at them and see if there's, you know, if I can keep working on that piece, you know, mm-hmm. so... It's either one of the one or the other that I'm kind of doing, either like something new, or going back to something I did yesterday or a few days ago and seeing if I can continue with that or find a new way to keep working on the same thing. How does the how does the editing process work for you? What what does it involve when you're editing something that you've that you've written? It involves listening and and kind of um, trying to 
you know, fantasize about this moment that's going to happen in the future when the piece is going to be performed in front of certain people in a certain place at a certain time with certain people performing it. So, like, really trying to conjure up that moment and then, you know, just take it from there, see if what you have is going to work, if it seems to work, if it's going to work then. Um, so, yeah, I try to do, I try to kind of, sometimes it just, if you were to watch me, it just looks like I'm sitting there, I'm not really doing anything. Other times I might be, you know, if I feel the need, I might have something in my computer and I can kind of listen to that and see, you know, if it's if it's going in the direction that I want it to. And, 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 and maybe I'm taking things out and seeing what it's like without that. And sometimes, um, you know, the editing process is actually, you know, you're editing for time. Like you've written 12 minutes of music and it can only be 10 minutes of music, so you've got to figure out some way of getting it down, you know, so it could be something as mundane as that. Kind of with that in mind, I know that um, the pieces on uh, Eternal Interlude were all commissioned, but none of them were commissioned, no two were commissioned by the same group or, mm-hmm. or uh, musical organization. So uh, you were just talking about um, having to envision the piece being performed by particular people in a place and a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, when each of these compositions was commissioned by a different musical aggregation, how does that impact the actual composition of the pieces that you're going to deliver, or did it? Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 trying to learn as much as I can about the group ahead of time. In some cases, maybe I know them, and um, I'm trying to find out as much as I can about the, the performance venue, what it's like, what what are the acoustics like, what what's this concert for, what other pieces are being performed on this concert. You know, I'm trying to get as much detail as I can to, to kind of figure out what that moment is going to be like and what would work and maybe not work in that context. So I, I try to gather up all that stuff so that that stuff is kind of, you know, swimming around in my unconscious while, you know, while I'm writing the piece. And so all of these pieces which were written with those kind of considerations in mind were then all combined in one album. Was that an an end product. I don't know what the duration of time over which these pieces were composed was, but did you envision a large ensemble end product at the end of it, or did it just happen that you had enough um, pieces now to? Yeah, no, it didn't really happen until you know I had written the last piece, and and I think I'd probably committed to doing a record by then anyway. So um, it just you know came after I realized that I had enough music for a record, and I had uh, music that I thought was good enough to be a record can you talk about some of the the joys of composing for an ensemble this size for you um the joys of composing um hmm i mean i i enjoy composing a lot so i don't want to act like i don't enjoy it but uh it's pretty hard work um the 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 joy uh, the most joy comes when it's when I'm actually you know playing the music. Um, it's a, it's almost you know it's like I'm I'm not it's not like I'm not having a good time when I'm composing, but but the the uh, the joyful feeling is coming usually later. Um, there might be moments where I'm like, oh, this is gonna work really well, but I don't really know that for a fact. Mm-hmm. So. Um, 
so yeah. <laughs> well, well, maybe a better way to have asked that would have been uh, what makes uh, a large ensemble attractive to you, or what, what is it about maybe playing in that setting or hearing your music performed that way or being a part of it that differentiates it from, for example, the Claudia Quintana? Um, well, if, if when you get that many people together and they're, if everything is going right and they're really, they're all concentrating and focused and and you know all the playing part of it is going well and you're doing this in front of people that are also you know really there and present there's no better feeling in the world than that that's the best feeling in the world so that's what you're working that's what I'm working towards is to get as many of those moments as possible In particularly listening to uh, the cloud and the text that is set in the cloud, I was wondering whether uh, kind of a, a meditative practice or some spiritual component is an important part of uh, your own life, because it sounds from that text like it might be. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Um, that was actually, you know, kind of a commission, um, a commissioned piece, and they what they were looking for was um a piece that had dona nobis pachem in it like the the words and um and it was going to come after the stravinsky mass so they wanted some sort of relationship to the stravinsky mass and um and that's that's pretty much what they gave me and then i um, I had a really good experience with a Sanskrit mantra uh, up at the Kripalu Yoga Center maybe, I can't remember, maybe 10 years ago, where you um, did this one mantra for five days straight. So there's always someone doing it, like a group of people singing this mantra, and then you do it for like two hours, and then you take a break and someone else comes in. So the mantra is being continuously sung for five days. So that, you know, sticks in your head. And uh, so I, it was my idea to kind of have both of those in this piece. 
Um, and then uh, when I was writing the piece, you know, I woke up one morning and just I woke up and I said, you know, the, this is called the cloud of unknowing. You know, that that's the name of this piece. And I I knew I didn't f- get that out of nowhere, but I didn't I couldn't I didn't have the book and I had no idea where it came from. Um, but there is a book called The Cloud of Unknowing, and it's a it's a kind of written by an anonymous Christian mystic. They've never really figured out exactly who wrote it. And it's kind of a guidebook for meditation. Um, so then that gave me the idea to have in the middle of this piece to have just a, a little, almost a little part of that book where it's just kind of instruction, you know. Because um, I figure, like, you know, you've, you've kind of set up this mood with the music and then to have, like, all of a sudden someone just speaking it, um, you know, would be would be poignant. But yeah, my um, a lot of times the the themes that I'm writing are their aspirations, you know. So it's maybe not I can't say that I'm a um, solid meditation practitioner or or yoga, but I aspire to that and I try. And uh, those themes kind of because. Because of that, those themes kind of seep their way into to some of my pieces. I'm not sure if this is a dumb question or not, but is performance a kind of meditation for you? It can be. Um, when you're the leader, then it's it's more difficult because um, there's a lot of um, things to think about that have nothing to do with the actual music. Um, so it's kind of hard to get into a space for me like that when I'm the leader. Um, if I'm not the leader, uh, then it's possible. But it's not, there's no, uh, there's no guarantee of that, you know. But it, it can be. Um, for me, something that would be closer to meditation would be practicing. Mm. That then those two things can be very, very similar. And meditation for me is a you know a solitary experience, and I mean you can also can do group meditation, but that's that's a a, a different experience. Um, but but the the practice of meditation can help you when you are performing. You know, if you um, a lot of people uh, get very nervous or or something like that, and 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 having done a meditation practice can help you in in those moments so that. Um, when you're performing, you know you don't. You're not feeling totally different than if you were just playing. And I've often heard both improvisers and um, my only experience with meditation practices in the Zen world. But I've often heard that people in both those worlds use the same kind of being in the present moment uh, language. And it, it sounds like uh, those things are not unrelated. That idea of improvising with a group of people and being able to be very aware of what's going on around you and part of that whole. And at the same time, being very self-aware in a, a meditative practice is mm-hmm. that? Yeah, they the, sure they can totally be um, related. I mean, you can um, you can be present, you know, when you're doing the dishes. You can be present when you're playing cards. You can be present when you're taking a walk. You know, it's it can any you can it can happen at any moment. It, I mean, it would be great if it did happen in any moment. 
Um, but so yeah, of course, in in um, if if you're playing with people that are also thinking like that, then it can happen. The problem with when you get other people involved is, you know, everyone's got their own history and their own what's going on in their head. So, um, you know, usually for me, I, I don't have it's a uh, group improvising and group uh, meditation are are uh, pretty different experiences. Sure. to gather all your desire into one simple word that the mind can retain, choose a short word rather than a long one. A one-syllable word such as God or love is best, but choose one that is meaningful to you. Then fix it in your mind so that it will remain there, come what may. This word will be your defense in conflict and in peace. Use it to beat upon the cloud of darkness above you and subdue all distractions, consigning them to the cloud of forgetting beneath you. Should some thought go on annoying you, demanding to know what you are doing, answer with this one word alone. If your mind begins to intellectualize over the meaning and connotations of this little word, remind yourself that its value lies in its simplicity. Do this, and I assure you, these thoughts will vanish. One uh, one person whose name seems to keep coming up with a lot of the the composers that I've talked to recently is Bob Brookmeyer, who I know um, had at least some impact on your own composition. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with Bob mm-hmm. Brookmeyer? Yeah, I f- so I first met Bob when I was twelve, and um, I met him in Binghamton, where I'm from, and then I met him again when I was uh, eighteen, and uh, met him when he came up to Eastman. And yeah, then I um, I sent him a tape uh, f- to study with him, and I took a few lessons with him. But from the tape, he actually it kind of came at a time when he was starting a band of mostly Germans, young German musicians in in Germany in the summer, and so he asked me to be a part of that, and that was probably. F- 15 years ago or or it was a long time ago I can't remember exactly when but maybe 95 around then Um, so that became Bob Brookmeyer's New Art Orchestra and um, I've learned a lot about big band and a lot about writing uh, from playing his music and and rehearsing his music you know that that's definitely had an impact 
and also just you know personally he's been extremely um, uh, supportive and uh, very loving you know sometimes he he writes things and uh, it can be uh, um, pretty <laughs> it's I always think it's funny but you know I guess if you don't know him it would might not seem too funny but um, to me uh, he's always been uh, very loving and uh, extremely you know just a great guy and it's it's been you know it's been a gift to just to know him you know but I've also gotten to play with him a lot and I've done some small group playing with him too which is also a lot of fun we are, uh, we're doing this interview in this gorgeous, you know, kind of bucolic setting, and it's quiet outside, and there are trees everywhere. But in the middle of this beautiful meditative com- compositional retreat, he went to Los Angeles and went to the Grammy Awards. Can you talk <laughs> a little bit about yeah. that? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I just thought uh, just the timing was was right, and, and, and Theo Blackman was thinking about going, and um, – I think the first time I had went, the uh, first time I was nominated, um, people were like, you know, asking my wife about the red carpet. And I realized that, you know, people expected us to go and, and, and that actually, um, that, that my wife would actually like to go, you know. So I remembered that. And, and uh, it, 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 before I knew I was coming here, I, I, you know, worked it out so we could go there. Then, as it turns out, I was here and just, it still worked out. But, um, yeah, it was uh, it was kind of a surreal experience. It was very interesting, um, you know, just the people, just watching the people, and and everyone's dressed dressed up big time, and um, the the TV show, you know, being there watching the watching them do this TV show was was amazing. Like the logistics involved was incredible, just how they do it with the timing and. The, the the things that were involved. I mean, there was fire and water, and I mean, it was just, it was just incredible. Um, uh, yeah, and there was some good music, but you know, it was also it also had a a depressing side to me too, because um, for one, the show was really really loud, and I I have to admit I've I haven't gone to like a rock concert or anything like that in a long time. So maybe all shows are like that, um, but it was just that feeling that you get, you know, when when that I get when I walk by a bar and the door opens and you just hear like really, 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 really loud music and everyone is kind of yelling into each other's ear to to talk, and uh, and I just felt a little bit like a old person there, you know, because it was it was just was too loud. And that that kind of that kind of you know bummed me out because like this is a an organization that's supposed to be about music and the recording sciences and and they're they're hurting my ears they're doing damage to my ears you know so that's enough I guess about that <laughs> and you uh, the jazz Grammys are part of the the pre telecast right that that I think yeah, Kurt Elling hosted this the year. The pre telecast right? is actually the the Grammys. There's 99 categories, and in the televised thing, I don't know. There's five or six, or there's not that yeah, many. That's crazy. You know? I never realized that until I read it in your piece. Actually, yeah. So actually, in the pre telecast is everything. There's there's rap. There's country. There's classical. There's video. There's there's pop parts in, of that too. Um, it's it's pretty much everything. There's there's Latin. 
it, you know, so it, 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 it's most of the Grammy show is actually in the, in the pre-telecast. And is that, that's held in a different location, I assume, right? Because yeah, right ne- it's in right, ne- right next door. So the TV show is in this, was in the Staples Center. Right next to that is the L.A. Convention Center. So that's where they have the, the pre-telecast show. And, uh, yeah, I guess it was – I didn't even know, but uh, it was actually being uh, streamed on the Internet, which I didn't know. But I guess that they've been doing that for a year or two. And they've been trying to kind of make the pre-telecast show, like, hipper and, and kind of more fun – um, it was actually okay. I mean, it's three hours long, so that's pretty rough. And, uh, you know, people only care about, like, their their category. And so then, like, when their category is over, they just leave. And, uh, you know, as the show goes on, you know, the people that win, they go back to the media room or whatever, and then some of them come back, but a lot of them don't. So... As the show goes on, it's just filled with the people who didn't win, and so it just becomes a little bit like a like a funeral towards the end there. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Have to make sure to get to that. Yeah. Um, so then you you came from there back back to here, and I already know because you said this a little bit, but it must have been an interesting transition back into this. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, yeah, I mean, actually, uh, I didn't really tell too many people but but they kind of found out why i was gone and they were pretty excited when i came back to hear some some stories and you mean uh, the rest of the folks at yato yeah similarly going to the grammy no 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 no. but you know some of them have been to like you know the oscars or whatever so they they knew what it was what it would be like you know um but yeah uh now i'm back to reality and uh trying to write some music Still dressed nicely, though. Thanks. Uh, can you talk about uh, what's happening with the, the Claudia Quintet these days and what's uh, on the horizon? Yeah. Um, we've been doing for uh, a couple months now a new project with uh, piano, usually Gary Versace. I say Versace. Some hip people say Versace, but I'm not hip, so I say Versace. And, um, and, uh, or Matt Mitchell has also been playing piano with us. And... Um, I got a CMA grant for this project, and I just wanted to explore, at least in the first phase of it, just to freely explore the Claudia Quintet with piano and just kind of see what happens. So I wrote a bunch of music in a pretty pretty short period of time, and we, we played on the West Coast in the fall, and we recorded it, and uh, it's all done. It sounds great, and it's coming out on uh, May 1st. So what was the impact of the piano, adding the piano? Um, well, I'm still, it's kind of a, you know, it's a, it's, I'm thinking of it as a long-term project. Well, the CMA grant lasts a couple of years, so it, they are thinking of it as a long-term project too. Um, so I'm, I'm actually not thinking too much about what's going on yet. I'm just oh. kind of doing it, and um, I thought I would just, just do it, and then, after that have a period of like reflection and then write some more music kind of based on what I haven't heard or what you know some new things that I think could be done um yeah so I'm kind of it's it's I'm I'm not thinking about it too much but I mean it's another percussion instrument it's another fixed pitch instrument um and, you know, both what Gary and, and Matt Mitchell can do is kind of bring a little bit more, uh, for lack of a better word, jazz 
you know, into the group, which which we don't really do too much of. So it's kind of nice to have that in there also. Was there intentionally not a piano, or was there just happened to not be one in when you first formed the band and were putting it together? Uh, yeah, I didn't. I wasn't thinking of piano. I hadn't. I hadn't thought about piano. It was really um, Gary working with Gary that made me think. Um, because Gary plays accordion, he he subbed in the band on accordion, and then actually um, there was a tour where we couldn't find a bass uh, sub, and he played keyboard bass, and it was great. So he's the only guy who's played in the band on two different books, and he fits really well. I mean, Gary and I, I think we think alike musically, because he always just plays what I would play if I was him, you know, if I played piano. That's what I would want to play, what he's playing, you know. It just seems perfect all the time. So um, so it was really thinking about him and like, wow, he's already the most important part, you know, member of the group in a way because he can play two axes and there's nobody else that can do that. So um, so I just thought about adding him, you know, on piano and just to see what would happen. Although Gary has never been uh, interviewed on my show, which needs to be corrected at some point, he has been on my show because um, during an interview with Matt Wilson, Gary was in the background the entire time doing an oh, impersonation no. of Michael McDonald, which was really Oh, yeah, wonderful. yeah. That's yeah. one of his favorites. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was very yeah. nice. So yeah. he has certainly appeared uh-huh, in the jazz uh-huh, session. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's probably all you're going to get, actually. You better be happy with that. <laughs> right, well, uh, it's, then I'm glad I got it's, it. It's a bit hard to get a hold of. So. <laughs> In addition to listening to the records, one place that I hear your music all the time is on all of the podcasts of the Poetry Foundation. Oh, wow. Um, I listen to all of them. And Great. Yeah, the first time I ever heard it, I thought, I think this sounds a lot like John Hollenbeck. And then yeah. they said, yeah. So how did that come about? I don't know. You know, I think, I'm not sure if that if, if that guy, if he knows Matt Moran, but it was just an email or something, and... and um, it's great. I'm totally into it. Yeah, I'm always surprised too. Like when I when I when it comes on, I I, I like that podcast a lot. Um, and uh, I'd love to hear more things like that. But it, yeah, it's um, I'm not sure how it happened exactly, but 
it's still going. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm glad it did. Uh, you mentioned, uh, if you don't want to talk about it because it's too early, that's fine, but the, the pop music project that you're working on, is there anything mm-hmm. you want to say about that, or is it... Uh... Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm working on two... I'm trying to get started right now with two projects that are, are coming up this year, um, and I, you know, I'm not going to have so much time later to work on them, and I won't be in a place like as great as this. So I kind of want to, I'm trying to kind of jumpstart them, really get them going so I can work on them even if I'm on a plane or in a van or whatever. Um, so the one project I'm doing is with the Frankfurt Radio Big Band and with Theo Blackman and Kate McGarry. And um, the idea is to arrange pop some pop tunes. So that's pretty, arrange is a pretty open word for me and pop tunes is a pretty open word. So we're... We're we're just right now. I'm kind of just in a daily discussion with Theo and Kate. Like, please send me any songs that you like, and then we just you know we're just talking and I'm listening to everything and th- seeing if the songs hit me or I or I think there might be a uh, a way that we could work with them. And I'm basically just picking out the music right now. Um, and but I'm also thinking about the band and I'm thinking about the. Uh, the venue it's going to be outside in the summer so i'm yeah i'm i'm thinking a lot about that moment and 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 what we could perform and how i could arrange i tend to kind of go crazy with arranging and and make things uh, arrange them so much that they aren't uh that the original tune might not be totally recognizable and i don't really think that would work in this project so so that's actually going to be a challenge for me is to see how far I can arrange without going too far. Um, so that's one thing that I'm doing. And then the other one is a, um, a project for the National Orchestra, National Jazz Orchestra of France. Um, they did a great album last year of uh, Robert Wyatt tunes and with him on there and different singers. And I heard that on um, WNYC and uh, I was totally into that. And I, I saw that the director's name was familiar, and I realized that I had gotten an email from this guy a couple years ago, Daniel, and uh, I just emailed him back and said, wow, man, I really like this record, and I don't know anything about this band. And as it turns out, it's a, it's a band that's kind of sponsored by the state, and it's, it changes every couple years. The director changes, and then therefore the personnel could change. And I think for many years it was kind of just a typical jazz repertoire big band. And this guy just cleared it all out, and it's filled with you know ten young musicians. They're all multi instrumentalists, and they're all very open. And he's doing really interesting projects with them. So it just turned out that 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 the uh, CMA French American grant thing was coming up, and I thought, wow, maybe we should apply for this and see what happens. And we got it. So I'm writing a, a program for them, and uh, the program was already picked. Um, so it's it's called the, the work. This is a working title. It's called "Shut Up and Dance." It's not my title, but I understand what he's trying to say. And uh, it's supposed to be um, just music that's gonna make you move or think about moving. That's that's really all he said to me so far. So um, I'm just kind of working along those lines, thinking of grooves and, and 
also I'm thinking there's 10 people that I would feature. He wants, he actually wants each person really featured on, on each piece, so each piece is going to be kind of a feature for, for one of them. Um, yeah, so that's those are the two big projects. And then I have one other one that I haven't started yet because I don't think I can. We're still picking the personnel. That's going to be uh, seven people at the Edinburgh Jazz Festival. And it's going to be with another drummer, um, Stu Brown from Scotland. And it's um, going to be based on... This is it's pretty general at this point, but bird songs from this island in Scotland called Islay. They make a lot of um, um, scotch there, I think, too. Um, so I'm going to go there for a week in March, and so by that time I'll know more about that project. So I'm not really starting with that yet, but that's that's those are the three kind of big things that I got coming up. Well, it sounds great. It sounds really exciting. It sounds like it's going to be a good year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, it's looking good. Well, my uh, my guest is John Hollenbeck, and uh, it's just it's a pleasure to talk to you. And I really again appreciate you uh, inviting me up here and, yeah. and doing this. My pleasure. Thanks, John. Thank you. That's music from composer John Hollenbeck. You've been listening to The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available for free anytime you want it in iTunes or at thejazzsession.com. You'll also find Amazon.com links to purchase the music heard on this show and a donate button if you'd like to support The Jazz Session. Thank you very much if you choose to do that. Speaking of people worth thanking, the Respect Sextet recorded the theme music for this show, and they are online at respectsextet.com. Uh, Respect has been playing a lot of gigs recently, which is fabulous because uh, they've been writing a lot of new music for these gigs, and uh, they're all incredible composers. So I encourage you uh, to go to respectsextet.com and see if they're going to be in your neck of the woods. Dave Rabel designed the show's logo and did uh, quite a bang-up job, and I thank Dave very much for that. And most importantly, I thank you for listening. Please do uh, tell a friend about the show, and then get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can. And then come back here next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session.
listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.